Clubbers. Good evening and welcome once again to the Greg Poops Film Club. Tonight, we'll be showing the fabulous Curtis Hansen picture uh, from 2000, uh, The Wonder Boys with uh, Michael Douglas, uh, Francis McDormand, Toby McGuire, uh, Katie Holmes. Yeah, you heard me. That'll take you back to the day, huh? When Katie Holmes was a co-star in a movie, it's not actually The Wonder Boys, I believe it's simply Wonder Boys, from the novel by Michael Chabon. Uh, Curtis Hansen is such an awesome director, and uh, I, I don't presume to have any insight to bring to this, but I will tell you this. I'm sick with Michael Douglas, and uh, I, I really... Uh, I, I didn't love Streets of San Francisco, and I thought the China Syndrome was... He was appalling. Um, but... <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was scary a little. Also, his shirts in those days and his hair really put me off when I was a teenager. Uh, but uh, as time wore on and he found his role as uh, playing a, a complete type A-driven asshole uh, who usually, in a lot of the movies, gets his comeuppance, which was what makes him so gratifying as a movie star, I think. Um, that was when I began to love him. Um, I have a couple of quotes from him tonight. The first one I want to read you about this picture because... As Brett was saying before we went on the air, and by the way, I want to thank you. Oh, the fucking cat won't stay up. How many times you go to work and a cardboard pansexual cat falls over? I don't know if it happens at your work, but it happens here. One more time for Adam, our DJ here tonight. He's been fantastic. Um, the, uh, it's just going to lay there sideways. We're going to have Sideways Cat tonight, which is my next feature film, by the way. It's based on a Japanese novel from the 30s. The 1430s. I'm esoteric. Uh, 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 Curtis Hansen, I don't think he's making pictures anymore. He's had a couple of health issues. Um, but I love uh, all of Michael Douglas's 80s movies. And particularly, of course, I think Wall Street is uh, such a great turn by him. The second one was, you know, what can you say? Uh, ill-advised, uh, but I understand why he wanted to do it, and also his general personality. When you grow up as the son of Kirk Douglas, um, there's a lot of issues, I think, that uh, uh, get in the way of you developing your own personality. Uh, one of the things I read about him today was <clears throat> he produced uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which his father had originated on the stage, right? His dad played Randall Patrick McMurphy. Well, they didn't use him in the movie. They used Jack Nicholson. I don't think Kirk's ever gotten over it. And the quote was, uh, he was like, Kirk gets mad at me and says he wished he played McMurphy in the movie. And then I remind him that I split some of my uh, percentage with him. <laughs> And then he made more from the movie than he ever did doing the stage play. Uh, <clears throat> this is the quote I wanted to read you about Wonder Boys, because as Brett Berg, who is one of our programmers here, said, it's a movie that a lot of people missed when it came out in 2000, because it came in the middle of a bunch of different things. Uh, in the middle of Michael Douglas' career, for one thing. Uh, in the middle of Curtis Hansen's career, because it was off the back of L.A. Confidential, which was probably one of his biggest movies. Uh, we'll get to my favorite movie, which is um, Bad Influence, in a moment. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. This one I wanted to read uh, to you about, from Michael Douglas. Uh, and I'm going to read it, if you don't mind, in the voice of Michael Douglas, because I think it'll make it better. <laughs> Picture you're in a smoke-filled room, and you've just done a rail, and all the girls have just left, and now you've just poured yourself a tall one. Imagine it's then with Michael Douglas, because it makes it funner, I think. Uh, Wonder Boys was... Uh, was a huge disappointment, personally. I love the movie, and we didn't even get critically acknowledged as far as awards go. I thought it was a fucking disgrace. <laughs> I'll be honest, it really hurt my confidence. <laughs> Nothing can hurt your confidence. 
You were 34 when you married your first wife, Deandra. She was 19. When you married your second wife, you were 25 years older than her. Confidence hasn't been the problem. (laughs) It was a punch in the gut. In fact, it was my father who helped me through it. His favorite movie is Lonely of the Brave. If anyone remembers that magnificent Kirk Douglas movie from 1962, uh, where he plays a cowboy who's completely out of time. uh, And uh, there's a famous scene in it where he's on horseback and a car almost runs him down. And that's supposed to be the, uh, the, the absolute symbol of his anachronism in the modern world and whatnot. Sort of like at the end of The Shootist, that brilliant Don Siegel movie with John Wayne, where it's the last John Wayne movie. And he goes to the dry cleaner. They bring home his his outfit. He's going to have the gunfight in from the dry cleaner. And he takes a streetcar to the gunfight. Fuck yeah. How many times did Duke mount up? And in that movie, he's like, here's a dime. Take me to my destiny. Uh, Nobody saw it when it came out. Nobody's seen it since. My father's disappointment in that movie really helped me get over mine. So evidently, he loved doing The Wonder Boys. And there's a couple of uh, things about The Wonder Boys that make it unusual. First of all, uh, it won an Oscar for Best Song. Um, it has a, exactly, it has a Bob Dylan soundtrack, and uh, uh, he, he does the closing theme to the movie, which is the song that won a Best Oscar. And Bob Dylan won a Golden Globe and an Oscar that year. And uh, I hope he went to all the parties and acted like Bob Dylan. I really do. <laughs> because... I can remember him, of course, on, uh, I believe it was the Grammys in 97 when uh, Soybaum got on stage with him. Uh, if you remember, he was playing one of his jams and a cat got on stage naked to the waist uh, with the words in giant letters, Soybaum written on his chest and started doing an undulating dance. And Bob Dylan was playing and just went, and that was it. Didn't even fucking, like clocked it. You know, that happens. And of course, everybody freaked out. Oh my God, there was a guy on stage you could have killed Bob Dylan. It's like, no, he couldn't have. He had soy bomb written on his chest. You'll find that a soy bomb is nutritious and good for your skin. Uh, at the end, if anything, I think Bob Dylan had a more lustrous sheen. Now, I've seen Bob Dylan over the years, and uh, the last time I saw him, I think, was probably six, seven years ago. He was at the Well Turn, and we were down pretty close. Uh, and, and uh, he, you know, his singing's gone from, because there's early Bob Dylan, there's the, uh, you know, there's the, uh, how many miles must a man go before the man? And then there's the 70s, which is, you know, the, uh, uh, what is it? That, there's that awesome thing. It was back in another lifetime. What am I doing? I'm back in the virtue, right? Just fantastic. And then there's the later Bob Dylan. There's the time out of mind, modern times, you know, all those a later album Bob Dylan, the, the now Bob Dylan, where he's achieved the black raspy blues rasp that he had always wanted. So now when Bob Dylan sings, it's just a series of grumbles and yelps and shit. <laughs> if you go to see him and he does like Highway 61, I go, I don't hear him. You better be putting your arm. I don't know. Is it what? I don't You better be putting your arm. Next time you see me coming, you better be putting your arm. you want to hear him. I said, I don't know. I said, I like it's and so that one's sung in this style. Uh, things must change, and if you have time, and I'm certain you do, since you're here tonight, <laughs> do me a favor and go home and YouTube uh, "Things Must Change" from the movie 
Wonder Boys, and you'll find that they've done several videos. Ah, cantankerous. And um, one of them is they did a video of Bob Dylan, and they've taken the movie Wonder Boys and put him in it as if he's in the movie. So there's scenes where they're driving along, and it's Michael Douglas and, and uh, Tobey Maguire, and they're driving. But now Tobey Maguire is looking at Bob Dylan, and all they've done is just jet the angles. So, like, Bob Dylan looks at him and goes, like, mm. <laughs> And Toby Maguire does this, and then Bob Dylan will sing a few lyrics, and they'll cut to Toby Maguire, and he's going like this and shit. Then there's a diner scene, and he's outside wearing a top hat, carrying a gold-handled cane, and eating a hamburger. Yes, you heard me. I got it wrong the first time. It's a straw hat. He's wearing a straw hat, carrying a gold-handled cane, and eating a hamburger. And then they cut back to him, and he just takes the burger and goes, And you're like, I don't know what it means. Not since the Must Be Santa video of three or four years ago. If anybody remembers Bob Dylan wearing a Santa hat and a fake beard, and there was a wild party going on with all these sexy young people, and he sings the, the Christmas song, Must Be Santa Claus. Who's out there with a big red nose? Big red nose, must be Santa. Santa Claus. Now, if it had been the 70s, it would have been better. Who's out there with a big red nose? <laughs> it must be Santa. Jesus died on the road and Santa died on the roof. <laughs> I wanted to talk a little bit about that because if you watch the video, you'll get an idea, an inkling, if you will, uh, an utterance of Bob Dylan's acting prowess on screen. Now, Bob Dylan is in lots of movies, believe it or not, or several, let's put it that way. Um, Ronaldo and Clara, which is quite long. What's your review, Greg? It's long. Uh, it's the, the movie he wrote, and then uh, I think he might have directed it as well. Then he's also in, uh, fantastically, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, directed by Sam Peckinpah. And, yeah, and Bob Dylan in that one goes... One can of green beans, one can of corn. Like, he reads his lines like this through the whole movie. And then does takes, he'll go like, hmm? And he's got a little hat they gave him and shit, because it's the olden times. Uh, and that, of course, is one of his brilliant scores. Uh, the score to Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid with Bob Dylan and his... Absolutely stunning Western music and has knocking on, knocking on heaven's door. And then that was kind of off the Lay Lady Lay. He's not quite doing the Lay Lady Boy voice. For some reason, Nashville Skyline was an anomaly in all of his albums, right? Because uh, uh, knocking on heaven's door is. Uh, yeah, knocking on heaven's door. He is. Uh, Let's take these guns away from me. I can't use them anymore. They're getting dark, too dark to see. I feel like knocking on heaven's door. I think that means door. But Lay Lady Lay, which is a couple albums before, he's like, Lay Lady Lay. Lay across my big red bed. What happened? Are you okay? Did you eat a lot of yogurt? What happened before this recording session? I don't... I wasn't born in this country, but one day I might cross the line. Then he's in a movie from the 80s with Rupert Everett, is it? Help me. It's called Hearts on Fire. <laughs> Only I have seen this movie. 1996, I think, late at night in England. I was quite high. I came home. It was on. He's a rock star in it. No. Fuck yeah. Someone went, no. Yeah, vol. 
as, as Rex Harrison would repost. Uh, he's a rock star in it, and I believe Rupert Everett is a rock star too. I don't actually remember a lot of the plot. I just remember he has a relationship with a girl. Does anyone have a phone? Turn your phone on. Someone look up Hearts on Fucking Fire. Yeah, 86 or something. Yeah, the hack that directed Return of the Jedi, I think. No, shit. It was Irving Krishner? No, no, no. Irving Krishner did a crash. Oh, he did Empire. Yeah. Who did the Return of the Jedi? Richard Marcon. Oh, Richard Marcon. <laughs> Who's the girl in it then? Oh, no one has their phone out. Okay, never mind. That was just off the top of your head, was it? So someone else is sick with it, but you haven't seen it. I have seen it. I suffered through Well, then you'll remember this line. Hearts of Fire? Hearts Hearts on fire. Hearts on fire. Yeah. A reclusive musician. A reclusive musician. Once a huge rock star takes a young female protege. Once a huge rock star takes a young female protege. Who is played by? Uh, Kittens McDermott. Fiona something. Fiona something. Thank you. You know what we strive for on this show? Vagary. We strive for vagary and innuendo. What was it? Fiona Flanagan. Julian Glover. Well, yeah, Julian Glover's in it. But who is the... Fiona Flanagan. No, Molly McGuire is Fiona. Molly McGuire plays Fiona. Again, we're lost in the mists of time here. Let me get to the point if the audience will let this be my show for a second. Bob Dylan says to Fiona, Molly McGuire, in one scene, because he cares for her. He's taken her on as a protege, but she's uh, sexed up by the other guy. She goes, uh, he, Bob Dylan looks at her, and before he goes on stage, goes, Shit, I love you. <laughs> he had the good sense not to uh, Madonna it, really, and keep that shit going. But uh, more's the pity, in a way, because uh, I do enjoy watching him act in movies. And if you watch the uh, video to this movie, you'll really enjoy it. Uh, Curtis Hansen um, made a movie called Bad Influence, which is one of my favorite uh, L.A. movies and one of my favorite uh, schlocktastic movies. It stars Rob Lowe and James Spader. Someone just laughed at the, at the mention of Rob Lowe, and I think that's beautiful. I want you to know that I saw Rob Lowe not a month ago at my hair salon, and he's gorgeous. <laughs> He looks exactly the same, almost like he did in that one video. Um, but he's, I, I love Rob Lowe, and he's the bad guy in this. That's where the casting's fantastic with Curtis Hansen. Curtis Hansen, if you'll remember, got Kim Basinger an Oscar. So he's not without skill. He has considerable skill as a director, writer, and casting person. And in the movie... James Spader, who would normally play the creep, plays the put-upon regular guy, and Rob Lowe plays the creepy dude who's your worst best friend, who gets you high, and, and they rob a hot dog stand. Yeah. I don't know about you, but my idea of a good time in the early 90s is to rob a hot dog stand when I'm high with Rob Lowe. I would have fucking done it. I wouldn't have even said no. I'd have gone, okay. Like, he pulls out guns, and they're like, let's fucking do this, man. I need this. It's quite good. Uh, that's all I'm saying. And then, of course, 8 Mile. And I remember seeing 8 Mile. And 8 Mile is, uh, I was reading about it today on all the uh, different blogs. And, you know, everybody's like, oh, my God, it's the most super, it's the most, it's the Citizen Kane of hip-hop movies. It's the, you know, uh, I grant you it's no tougher than leather with Run DMC. Uh, but I, when I saw it, all I could remember thinking was, um, 
All they did was, for an audience of people who'd never seen one before, took the plot from an old 30s movie and stuck it on a hip-hop theme. The only thing missing is he doesn't go on stage and win a million dollars and become a star the next day. He has to go back to work, which I presume is the Curtis Hand. I, I hope I didn't spoil the movie for anyone. Eminem plays a rapper in it. But he's an aspiring rapper. He's not quite a rapper yet. And the late, great Brittany Murphy is in it as well. And uh, he works at like a plant and he has to wear a hoodie. And Kim Basinger plays his uh, white trash mom who lives in a trailer. And at the time, because Hollywood is like this, there was controversy that she was too good looking to be someone who lived in a trailer. This is the kind of thinking that goes on in this town. This is the town where executives say, I don't want to fuck her. And if I don't want to fuck her, why would anyone want to see this movie? So you have to understand the opposite happened in this. And they were like, I want to fuck her. What's she doing in a trailer? (laughs) This is before reality TV. So... Uh, 8 Mile has its own merits uh, and is quite compelling. It has uh, a couple of other rappers in it. I believe Exhibit and um, uh, D'Angelo. There's a few. It's pretty wild. Uh, who invited everyone to talk through the whole fucking thing? If you talk to... Oh, I did. I'm sorry. Well, then carry on. Uh, when the movie starts, you're going to have to shut up at a certain point. I don't want this to be like, Michael Douglas, all right. <laughs> and then when certain scenes come in the movie, fuck, it's John Boy Walton. Fuck. <laughs> Richard Thomas is in this movie with his mole. And I love him for that because I have the same mole. Uh, and uh, d- the, the reason they got Dylan to do this movie was um, Curtis Hansen is a mad Dylan fan. And uh, he wanted him to do some of the songs and he wanted him to do the theme right at the end. And so Dylan loved L.A. Confidential, which we all did. And I don't know if you were the one when you saw the movie uh, L.A. Confidential the first time. When you watched it, obviously Russell Crowe is quite powerful in it and it really launched his career. But didn't you think Guy Pearce had a harder role in that movie? I always felt like, and the crowd goes quiet, oh, we wanted to talk about everything up till now. But now we've disagreed with your assessment, Greg. And we find that the insight you've brought to this at this point leaves us wanting. In fact, panting in a dish as if a dusty fucking Sirocco has just blown through a Santa Ana that's removed all of our wits and made us feel angry. (laughs) Well, you're wrong. Guy Pierce would stand out in that fucking movie. And is the only straight-up character in the whole goddamn thing. I mean, Russell Crowe plays a Kirk Douglas role, quite frankly. If that movie had been made in the 50s, it would have been Kirk Douglas. Because if you've ever seen Detective Story with Kirk Douglas, um, beating a suspect to death is just part of the fucking job of being a policeman uh, when you're Russell Crowe or Kirk Douglas. And it's not to knock Russell Crowe, who I think is a great actor. Uh, and what I love about him is that he hasn't bothered to lose any weight for, like, the last five movies. Like, most actors would, like, get a trainer and fucking get it slimmed down and shit. That movie, American Gangster, you were like, really? Really? Is this a character or are you Ray Winstone in this? <laughs> a master, ass master and butt commander, as I called it, the one with the boat uh, that has the, uh, what's that actor's name? He's married to Jennifer Connelly. Oh, Paul Bettany, and and they play together, they play violin and cello in their room and whatnot, and have a good time, in their cabin, rather, they're in a boat, sorry, I said a room, it's a boat movie, don't ever forget it's on a boat, uh, uh, that one, I, I quite like that movie. Uh, it's it's really it's really for boys. I don't think any woman's ever watched it and gone, great. My wife's review was, who am I supposed to want to fuck in this movie? <laughs> and that's a valid review. 
if it's a movie about high adventure and shit like that, like Lord Jim is an interminable movie that goes on and on and on and is really a bad postscript in a lot of ways to Peter O'Toole's unbelievable soul-searching dichotomy uh, that he uh, portrays so evocatively and unrewardedly uh, by the Oscars in the movie Lawrence of Arabia. In the movie Lord Jim, he plays, yeah, uh, the same type of character, one who's completely conflicted, um, but the movie drags on until the end of goddamn time. But at least in the movie Lord Jim, you've got Peter O'Toole to cling to as a viewer. So whenever the going gets slow, you can just focus on him going, <sighs> and it's awesome. Whereas an ass mander and butt commander and ass remander, you're supposed to care that we're fighting the French during the Napoleonic War. And that's a little bit harder to get it up for. A brief moment, and then we'll come back to this. Eli Wallach uh, plays a Chinese warlord in the movie Lord Jim. Eli Wallach is still alive, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Eli Wallach is in his late 90s now, and I was watching a part of uh, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly the other night. I don't think he ever played a Jewish guy from New York in a movie, which is what he is. <laughs> he is of dazzling variety, like Alan Arkin, of Armenians, Mexicans, Chinese. Uh, it's indeterminate what country in Asia he emanates from in the movie Lord Jim. However, he has Bugs Bunny teeth and goes like this, and Roger's It's fantastic I'm not trying to be racist I'm saying this is old Hollywood there's nothing I can do about it there's nothing you can do about it we can't go back and make it right it's never going to be right it's what Hollywood did for a million years did huh does (laughs) Michael Douglas was in a movie last year called Under the Candelabra but that was an HBO thing Greg Uh, that was a theatrical movie all over the world except for in this country I was in London uh, right after Beyond the uh, Candelabra played here on telly and it was at the movie theater in Islington down the block from where I was staying Uh, yeah and it's not the greatest Michael Douglas movie I was excited when I heard the premise then when it was like Matt Damon's gonna be the boyfriend I was like but the boyfriend was young and you know (laughs) and not Matt Damon (laughs) it's like the moment when you heard that Ben Affleck was gonna be the new Batman and you went oh Are there any more Fruit Loops? Because, you know, Batman has been a rough road. First there was um, uh, Michael Keaton, and then there was Val Kilmer. That was okay for a moment. The movie, not so hot. Then George Clooney, and that was, we all took our lives. And it wasn't even that George Clooney was a bad call. It's just that that movie never really roped all the cows and got them to go in the same direction at once. And then there was the Christian Bale, and he has the right amount of psychosis uh, and general nuttiness to, to pull that shit off. Uh, Michael Douglas could have played uh, one of the bad guys in a Batman movie, I think, if they'd done it in the 80s during the romancing the bone period. <laughs> Michael Douglas. I create challenges by the roles I take. I'm sort of proud of the fact that I'm not really typecast. Well, if you wore a cowboy hat or a Viking helmet, I'd freak out a little bit. Even though your dad wore both of those. Uh, People are always trying to get a handle on what you do. With me, either it's my sex trilogy. (laughs) 
I really never thought I'd have to read the word sex trilogy during my career as a comedian. <laughs> Ick. <laughs> Sylvia Crystal, the late great, and by the way, this is for Sylvia Crystal tonight, who made all the Emmanuel movies. She made a sex trilogy. She made a sex heptuplet. <laughs> Michael Douglas thinks he made a sex trilogy, you guys. If his butt was better, yes. <laughs> But you saw it in Basic Instinct, and I know what you thought, because I know what I thought. You should really wear a shirt under that V-neck sweater. And then Sharon Stone has the, the line, it was the fuck of the century, because Joe Esterhaus dominated this world, like an enormous Allosaurus running across the antediluvian plains of Gondwanaland. My sex trilogy. Fatal attraction. You know, who doesn't want to fuck on a sink? <laughs> Didn't you always feel a little bad for Gene Triplehorn? Someone went, uh, one of the dudes in the crowd, I have to repeat this for the, the audience that'll be listening. No. <laughs> in other words, you had an Ann Archer amount of sympathy for her, which is, she was lucky to be in this fucking movie. And by the way, I want to thank you for listening to the Greg Proops Film Club. Uh, we're doing quite well, uh, uh, and we're getting lots of downloads, and it's free to download. And our last uh, episode was uh, What's Up, Doc, which I sound absolutely awful, and I sound like I have, um, uh, I sound like Doc Holliday right before the end. <laughs> There's a definite consumption feel to my delivery in that episode. I listened to it back, and I was appalled at how I sounded. Uh, normally, I sound raspy and nasal, but I was like, and this was a I was like Matthew McConaughey and Magic Mike. It was a bummer. <laughs> Ladies of Miami, you know I love you more. It was bad. What's the one with uh, 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 Goldie Hawn Jr.? Uh, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, the one with Kate Hudson. When they sing You're So Vain and Matthew McConaughey comes out, you walked into the party like, I think your scop was apricot. <laughs> Did no one watch the dailies? <laughs> my sex trilogy, Fatal Attraction, Basic Instinct and Disclosure, or my Businessman trilogy. Greed is in essence good <sighs> Wall Street the game oh fuck yeah the game you can't smoke in here Conrad I love the game beyond life itself David Fincher's made a lot of movies including uh, what's the one where they make soap out of human bodies and Helena Bonham Carter's and I know what the name of it is. <laughs> the Fight Club. Which, by the way, am, am I wrong? And am I wrong? You've disagreed with everything I've said, but you won't with this. Is that Brad Pitt's best fucking role or what? He's great in The Fight Club. Seven? Twelve Monkeys. No, Twelve Monkeys. <laughs> you know what? If you're easily fooled by histrionics, Okay. <laughs>
quite good in uh, character roles. Robbo, why are we, why is there sense around playing in the theater during the intro here, or, or the the actual body of the Great Poops Film Club? I don't know if you guys can hear it, but every once in a while. I don't know if you saw the movie Roller Coaster or the movie Earthquake. I believe Towering Inferno might have been in Sensorot as well. Every once in a while, the Sensorot speakers turn on and everything starts to fucking vibrate and shit. Or am I the only one who can feel it in my kidney stones? I have balls of sodium in my kidney that can feel the recuperations, the tintinabulations of an incessant pounding like the jungle drums along the Orinoco in the heart of darkness. I think you'll find that's the Congo, Greg. Okay, whatever river you choose. <laughs> How many men had I killed already? Four that I could remember. Close enough to blow their last breath out of my face. This was different. It was an American and an officer. It wasn't supposed to matter, but it did. The game... And this picture I'm doing now, you can see when the interview's from, called A Perfect Murder. <laughs> we talked about A Perfect Murder uh, on the regular Greg Proop's uh, Smartest Man in the World podcast, how it's one of my favorite movies because I sing the apartment and the clothing and the wardrobe of that movie. This is an atypical movie. It does not fall into Michael Douglas's sex trilogy, <laughs> nor does it fall into his businessman trilogy. This falls into his indie disappointment trilogy, <laughs> along with King of California and the other one from a couple of years ago, the one with all the women in it. That's how famous that one was. <laughs> That's where this one falls. I think it was a labor of love by everyone. I think you'll find the script is uh, uh, clipping and uh, effete, erudite. Uh, authors are mentioned in a Hollywood movie with an A cast. Uh, it's also my favorite Tobey Maguire movie. I'll be very honest. I, I like Tobey Maguire. I think he's a talented actor. Uh, give him a chance in this fucking movie and you'll understand why Michael was so full of rancor when this didn't get nominated for any acting awards because Tobey Maguire is quite good in it indeed. Uh, I give you a tremendous uh, and overlooked comedy from the early uh, millennia. 2000 is the year on this. Curtis Hansen's hilarious piece called Wonder Boys. <laughs> Michael Douglas is awesome, but wow. We're going to take a couple questions and we'll kick it around for a couple minutes and then we'll fuck off into this good night. Um, this picture, I always feel like it's better every time I see it. Um, there's very few literary pictures that are about books that um, show writing without showing too much writing. The couple of times the writing is revealed, uh, it's quite good. Uh, and the love parade, the lovely parade. Uh, yeah. Also... The children's book that gets published, The Loneliest Frog, at the end. And how many people are just certain that The Last American Marriage is a piece of old tripe? Uh, you've convinced yourself of all these things by the end of this picture. Robbo, do you have a mic to... Uh, is Robbo still alive? Yes, I was still running the movie, actually. So. Of course you are, darling. It's still going. We've jumped up at the end, though, real quick early and shit like that. A couple of... Well, uh, this is what we do here at the end. We have social intercourse, and then we blow. So um, I have a, a lot to say other than I still think the screenplay holds up. And that 
it's a total undersung classic from uh, 14, 15 years ago that uh, doesn't get visited enough. And uh, I think after you guys watched it tonight, you got the uh, uh, unbelievable, like, dry humor of this movie. Uh, and, uh, and believe me, as you get older, uh, the movie will, you'll relate to more and more. Uh, <laughs> the scene at the end when Tobey Maguire, when he goes, take a bow, and Tobey Maguire goes like that, and then he takes a bow at the end after that, that is, uh, that is some good middle-aged man shit. There you go. Uh, anybody? Everybody? Do you, do you know about the... What's movie? your name, oh. young person? My name is Eric. I can't see you, nor can I hear you. All right, Eric. My name is Eric. There you are. Hi, Eric. Question about the, the Dylan song here at the end. Do you know, did he write this specifically for the film based on the characters, or was this one he had in the suitcase and he just pulled it out and gave it to Curtis Anderson? Kittens McTavish. It's difficult to answer that question. I think he had a thousand songs in the trunk like Woody Guthrie. On the other case, uh, I believe that Curtis Hansen showed him 90 minutes of the picture, is the, uh, my understanding. And that he'd loved L.A. Confidential, and that after that he was convinced to do a, 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 a jam for this. So whether he had it in the chamber or whether he did not, uh, he says there's a, 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 what is it, a light-skinned girl in my car and all this jazz. There's a, there's a lot of weird, um, it's not the most uh, cohesive Bob Dylan song, but it absolutely fits this picture because uh, it's not the most cohesive uh, novel ever written. What's the first one called? What's this? The Arsonist. The arson. I can't even say it. Arsonist's daughter. And then the second novel. Do we know the name of? Wonder Boys. Oh, the Wonder Boys is the second novel. That's twenty six hundred and twelve pages long. <laughs> Fucking fantastic. Not since Sideways when he hand, when Paul Giamatti hands Virginia Madsen the manuscript and she goes, "Oh, I'll read it." And he goes, "That's not all." And reaches into the back seat. Right. There's nothing funnier than a 2,000-page novel. Not to read. I mean, if you're Thomas Pinchon's wife, wow. There's some shit going down. But other than that, uh, anybody else? Why do you think the film was... Hi. Hi. Why do, you, why do you think the film was not successful? Why do I think the film was not successful? It's literary. It's intelligent. It's informed. It's arcane. And I think it slipped under the goddamn radar uh, that year. Um, I'm certain that in 2000, there was something post-Titanic that was just amazing that we all had to fucking focus on. Um, and secondly, I think it's out of character for almost everyone in the movie. Um, Michael Douglas didn't make a lot of movies like this. Uh, Tobey Maguire, name another arty movie where he's this... Ice Storm. Ice Storm, there you are, there you are. One other movie. Uh, the Spider-Man 1 through 3 are, you know, are great comic book movies. <laughs> but this movie is like, you know, as I said at the beginning, he, when you, at the, at the end, right, you're like, fuck. Tobey Maguire and shit. <laughs> we have to hear about Leonardo every year. We had him a connaissance this year and everybody comes back, you know what I mean? But this is the picture where you go, oh, right? Uh, that's my guess. I mean, like, I, I, I know nothing about the workings of Hollywood. If I did, I would be wildly successful and not hosting movies on Monday night at the Cine Family. I would be at Steven Spielberg's temple and we would be, yeah, thank you. We'd be showing Shoah and crying together and whatnot. You know what I'm saying. 
I'm joking, of course. Please, don't anyone take that the wrong way. Hi, Greg. Hi, what's your name? It's Lewis. Oh, hi, Lewis. Hi. Um, first of all, for anyone who's interested, if you have someone in your life who you really hate and despise, I can't recommend more highly Bob Dylan's Christmas album. <laughs> it's spectacular in its... It's almost the Antichrist in audio for Christmas. Spectacular. My, you know, I, I, can, I, would, I haven't heard it all. Uh, I've only heard, of course, Must Be Santa. Uh, I, I, I remember his Christian period, uh, yeah. Slow Train Coming from the 70s, and that was fairly punishing. Um, next to, um, I, I can't think of another artist that glowers at the Bible more in their room alone. <laughs> and that you're going to have to pay for that. Uh, um, I believe you, Lewis. Uh, I can't think of a performance of Michael Douglas that's more naturalistic than this. It's right? the least forced. Yeah. He seems more comfortable in this character than even in Wall Street. Dig. Traffic is right after this. And Traffic, uh, like everybody loved Traffic and shit like that. And I love Benicio in it, and it had its moments. But like, Traffic to me was like written by like uh, the Reagan administration or something. I didn't understand why everyone thought it was cool and shit. It seemed like the DEA wrote like the, the general outline of the movie and then everyone checked off boxes off the end of that and like Donald Rumsfeld come by and like kind of masturbated over the script or whatever. Like it was, it was a bummer. Okay. You know what I mean? And, uh, and Michael Douglas in one scene in traffic is pulling out uh, drawers and goes where's the goddamn drugs and all I could think of was that was you through the whole fucking 80s and 90s uh, yeah I really think it's his most uh, groovy performance and uh, the, 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 the pink wig, uh, pink robe underneath the coat uh, with the limp at a certain point and smoking jays on the fucking stoop because everyone's got you know full up your crib that part to me was magnificently realistic um, everyone else here is just staring at me like this is kind of sad now Greg <laughs> let me ask you something is tonight's show credit now credit <laughs> all I can say is go out and make your own film one more and then we'll fuck off into the night thank you Louis here, yes you my loquacious oh, precious I love what's your name darling my name's no, it's not Carrie. Don't bullshit me ever. Don't fucking start and don't lie. Let's let's get that out of the way. Um, okay. At what point in Robert Downey Jr.'s career is this? This is um, uh, right after the high period and right before, yeah. You notice how he doesn't look all completely terse like he does later when he's worked out every instant of the day and, and we're in the action film period. Because he looks good at some angles, but on other angles he looks bloaty and druggy it's fantastic uh, and how funny is he in this fucking role Robert Downey Jr. is carrying uh, a lot of the weight uh, in my opinion in a lot of the scenes in this movie when he sleeps with uh, uh, Tobey Maguire and then he goes uh, by the way your book is not bad <laughs> that's Robert Downey Jr. there's two or three scenes that he dominates when they're in the car with Rip Torn and they're driving around and Robert Downey smoking in the back and shit that's just fucking classic Robert like Downey. Like what, what point did he start coming back after this? Oh, you know I mean? right. You know, like within, you know, there's through a glass darkly and then all the mid eight, mid 2000 stuff. And then I think he pulls his shit together and he's clean and has 4,000 fucking sober monitors around him every minute of the day. And then becomes this weird giant 
you know, Sherlock Holmes, Iron Man, superstar. And I'll be honest, I'm not saying that he should go back and do drugs again. I would never say that. Uh, unless you wanted to be cool and fun and have good stories to tell and be <laughs> genial at a party. And, and he's a, quite a huge supporter of Cine Family. But uh, I really love the Kiss Kiss Bang Bang uh, period, too. Um, I, I really think Robert Downey Jr. is movie helper and is wildly entertaining. And if there's any reason I would watch the Sherlock and Iron Man movies, it's because of him. Uh, it's not because they're so brilliantly crafted or anything like that. So uh, I think it's, it, you know, it's 14 years ago, baby. I mean, I don't, I don't know where you were with him. I think that was the U-turn on La Cienega years. <laughs> Purple tinted glasses, waking up in someone else's house. You know, we all have issues. Uh, the thing is, he's extraordinarily talented, and he's uh, really delightful in pictures. And that, I think we catch him in a groovy period, and I think he's used to his utmost effect. Him playing a bisexual, desperate book editor from New York who wears a Yankees cap, who will lose his gig if he doesn't publish Michael uh, Douglas's book, but then ends up publishing... Toby McGuire and Richard Thomas's book is a brilliant turn for him. Uh, and that's why I think I, this, this picture is kind of special. It captures everyone at a particular period. Um, anybody else? I think we're good. We're good? Uh, the 14th, we'll be showing Laura by Otto Preminger here with uh, Dana Andrews, uh, Gene Tierney, uh, Vincent Price, and uh, the amazing... Uh, yes. We, yes, my precious. I'm going to repeat what you just said because you're not on microphone here and this is a podcast. So what people will hear when they listen to it is and then me going, fuck, 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 fuck. Um, You asked, uh, what should Michael Douglas do as another role? I have the foggiest fucking notion. Um, At this point in the career, he's, he's free to do what he wants, I think. I, I've actually dug uh, the King of California and a, and a lot of those weird-ass pictures he did. Um, I don't think uh, he needs to do um, big Hollywood movies where he's like a cop or an FBI agent anymore. I think he can sort of settle into the... Like, for instance, if anyone saw 42 last year, which, by the way, didn't get nominated for anything, Harrison Ford, who we all grew up with and know from a million roles, played Branch Rickey and smoked a cigar and wore a hat and was kind of fat and wore glasses and went, God, Jackie, you're like medicine. Everybody needs you. And I think at a certain point you have to do that in your career. And I'm I'm totally waiting for Michael Douglas to put on a hat and smoke a cigar and play a character from the 40s uh, or or something thereabouts uh, because that's what I want. Uh, And as you know, this show's not a show about film. It's a show about my personal predilection (laughs) and the sickness that lies therein and my wife's as well. And she couldn't be here tonight, but she picked this movie and I agreed and I signed off at it and she picked Laura as well. This has been the Greg Proops Film Club. You've been the greatest crowd in the world. Thank you very much for coming out. We'll see you in two weeks time with Laura. I thank you so much. May every patient turn the essential page. May every bell that ring be Greg Proops Film Club stay at their own home and drive their own vehicles in the game. We invite you to come back to the Cine family to sit in their bizarre, uncomfortable chairs and eat their stale-ass popcorn any night of the week when they'll be showing some arcane, bizarre film from the 70s or 80s that one of their high-ass fucking programmers decided to do. 
Brandy Sandwiches, Brandy Sandwiches. 